This is America in the Morning from Westwood One. I'm John Trout. It's Tuesday, February 13th, 2024. Here's what's coming up on America in the Morning. For the second time in less than a week, Donald Trump wants the Supreme Court to rule in a legal case, this time on immunity. I'm Jeff McKay in Washington. The investigation continues into the woman who opened fire inside a popular Houston megachurch Sunday. We want to know the motive, how she got the weapon, why she did this. I'm Jim Roop. The race to replace disgraced Republican former Representative George Santos is in the final stretch. Julie Walker, New York. The Dow opens at a big, fat Tuesday record high this morning. Investors are also waiting for the latest on inflation. I'm Jessica Edinger. A judge has ordered Elon Musk to testify in probe of his $44 billion Twitter takeover in 2022. I'm Norman Hall. Our nation's classified documents under the microscope. Lisa Dwyer has a report. That and more all ahead on America in the Morning. Former President Trump is asking the Supreme Court to extend the delay in the trial stemming from special counsel Jack Smith's 2020 election interference case, arguing that he has presidential immunity to protect him from prosecution. America in the Morning's Jeff McKay has the details on this new legal challenge. Jeff? Attorneys for the former president on Monday afternoon filed an emergency appeal with the Supreme Court just days after the D.C. appeals court ruled the 2024 GOP frontrunner is not immune from prosecution in Jack Smith's case. What Trump's attorney filed is what's called temporary relief, which is to stay or block the appeals court mandate from taking effect. This would allow the Trump legal team more time to file an appeal to the Supreme Court on the merits of whether a former president deserves immunity from criminal prosecution for actions while in office. On the campaign trail, Trump brought up decisions presidents have made in office in the past as rationale that he must be given immunity from prosecution. Take a look at Harry Truman. He wouldn't have done, if you think Hiroshima, not exactly a nice act, but it did end the Second World War probably, right? Nagasaki. He wouldn't be doing that. He said, I don't want to do that because my my opponents will indict me. You have to give a president full and total immunity. In their appeal, the attorneys wrote, quote, if a prosecution of a president is upheld, such prosecutions will recur and become increasingly common, ushering in destructive cycles of recrimination. And adds, criminal prosecution, which is a greater stigma and more severe penalties, imposes a far greater personal vulnerability on a president than any civil penalty, end quote. Trump said threats of future criminal prosecution by a politically opposed administration could hang over any decision a current or future president could make. This is nothing more than selective persecution of Biden's political opponent, me. Last week's ruling in the U.S. Court of Appeals upheld Judge Tanya Chutkin's prior decision denying Trump's claim of absolute presidential immunity. This comes on the same day that Trump attended a court hearing in Florida in a separate criminal case in which he faces federal charges for mishandling classified documents and obstructing government efforts to retrieve them. I'm Jeff McKay in Washington. More is being learned in Houston as police say the woman who opened fire inside celebrity evangelist Joel Olstein's megachurch Sunday had a history of mental illness. Jim Roop has the story. It happened just before 2 p.m. Sunday as a Spanish language service was about to begin in the Houston megachurch. In audio from a cell phone video, you can hear several shots being fired from the hall just outside the sanctuary. Oh, Commander Chris Hassick with the Houston PD Homicide Division says 36-year-old Genesee Moreno arrived at the church with her 7-year-old son and two rifles. She confronts with the son and the rifles a security guard 
doesn't shoot him, but begins to open fire as she enters the hallway, again, with her seven-year-old in tow. Multiple rounds are fired by her, at which point Officer Moreno of the Houston Police Department, working an approved extra job at the location, as well as TABC agent Herrera, return fire. He says HPD officer Moreno and Texas alcohol and beverage control agent Herrera confronted the shooter just minutes after she began shooting with an AR style rifle and they returned fire. She eventually falls to the ground. The seven-year-old child falls to the ground as well from gunfire. One uh, gunshot wound to the head. The shooter is pronounced dead. The child is rushed to the hospital where, at the filing of this report, is in critical condition. The investigation so far has found the shooter had a history of mental illness, went by several aliases, and was even placed under emergency detention in 2016. The question is, how does someone with an extensive history of mental illness, and some reports say even a weapons charge, legally purchase two rifles? FBI Special Agent Doug Williams. How she got the weapon, why she did this, uh, we're not there yet. As to why, the motive, they do have some possible leads, although confusing, including on the buttstock of the rifle was a sticker that read Palestine, and they found some anti-Semitic writings at her home. Commander Hasek says the only thing they can say with some certainty is... She acted alone. We do believe this was what we term a, a, a lone wolf, lone suspect situation. We do not believe this is part of a larger nexus. She's not part of a larger group. The investigation continues. I'm Jim Roop. Being replaced in Congress, New Yorkers decide when America in the Morning continues after these messages. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. America in the Morning continues this Tuesday, and there's snow in the forecast for many in the Northeast. Here's AccuWeather.com meteorologist Carl Erickson. As the ongoing winter storm strengthens near the Northeast coast today, snow will be falling through the morning hours from eastern Pennsylvania and northern New Jersey into southeastern New York. Closer to the I-95 corridor and toward the coast, there'll still be some rain mixed in early today, but even here, the storm will end as a period of snow. This can lead to a slushy coating to an inch of accumulation around Philadelphia 
Philadelphia, with one to three inches around New York City. However, there'll be higher amounts and deteriorating road conditions just to the north of New York City. Further south, the rain can be mixed with some wet snow across the nation's capital and Baltimore before ending this morning, but little to no snow accumulation is expected. The heaviest snow will fall across southeastern New England and into the Boston area, where the combination of heavy wet snow and increasing winds will lead to dangerous travel and sporadic power outages. Boston can pick up six to ten inches of snow before the storm winds down later today. This winter storm will lead to slow and difficult travel across much of the northeast today and likely widespread travel delays and even cancellations. Meanwhile, the southeast will have a nice day with sunshine and highs in the 50s and 60s. Sunny skies and mild temperatures will also be found over the central and southern plains into Texas, with many areas climbing into the 60s. Snow showers will cross parts of the northern plains eastward into the upper peninsula of Michigan. Much of the west will have dry weather today, with pockets of snow crossing Montana into northwestern Wyoming. A mix of clouds and sunshine will be found from Washington to California, with highs in the 50s across the northwest, with 60s over most of California. And that's the weather across America. In Boston today, snow, high 38. Meanwhile, in Denver, partly sunny with a high of 51. That's the nation's weather. I'm IQWeather.com meteorologist Kyle Erickson. Remember, follow us everywhere you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and YouTube. Just search America in the Morning in your favorite listening app. I'm John Trout. Despite expected snow, today is the special election in parts of New York City and Long Island to replace George Santos. As Julie Walker reports, depending on the victor, a win by either the Democrat or Republican will have a major impact in Washington. The race to replace disgraced Republican former Representative George Santos is in the final stretch with Republican Nassau County legislator Mozzie Pillup and Democratic former U.S. Representative Tom Suozzi battling for votes in New York's 3rd Congressional District, covering parts of Long Island and a sliver of Queens. And yes, money is matter. When you have a donor like George Soros, anti-American, anti-Israel, anti-Jew, giving them so much money, they're already spending close to $8 millions against me. You have said that I will not vote to make Roe the law of the land. You have said that the Supreme Court made the right decision by outlawing uh, abortion in the United States of America and putting it back to the states. Both candidates launching a blitz of last minute ads. Okay, there will be things I'm gonna work with them, I will support them, there will be things I'm not gonna support them. When it comes to women's rights and abortion, I will say that I'm not gonna support the national abortion ban. The Supreme this is your Court, first debate. The this Supreme Court gave it back to the state, in each state making that decision. Early voting in the special election began February 3rd. Polls closed Tuesday night. Julie Walker, New York. How the nation's classified documents are handled will be getting much closer scrutiny. Lisa Dwyer reports. President Joe Biden has launched a task force aimed at addressing the systemic problem of mishandling classified information during presidential transitions. Just days after a sharply worded Justice Department special counsel's report that says that President Joe Biden mishandled classified documents, Biden has announced the formation of a Presidential Records Transition Task Force to study past transitions to determine best practices for safeguarding classified information. Officials of multiple administrations have said there is a systemic problem with mishandling of classified information, particularly around senior-level transitions. By law, sensitive information should be kept with the National Archives and Records Administration. I'm Lisa Dwyer. 
Bezos selling Amazon stock when America in the Morning continues after these messages. Welcome back. This is America in the Morning. Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash drivers will be taking part in a nationwide strike Valentine's Day tomorrow, seeking what they deem fair pay. The drivers, who are considered independent contractors, have accused the companies of taking high commissions. In 2023, Uber drivers' monthly average gross earnings fell by 17%, but Lyft drivers saw a 2% increase. Lyft drivers earn on average about $30 per hour using their own vehicles or about $23 after expenses. Here's CNBC's Jessica Ettinger with a look at Tuesday Business. Wall Street opens this morning after a mixed day for stocks yesterday. The Dow opens at a record high on this fat Tuesday. Mardi Gras, some investors say the bull market can keep running. Uh, it should, um, for all intents and purposes, last at least through the end of the quarter, and that's a minimum. Um, and if we have the continuation of some of the internals that we look at that I think extend on beyond that. But um, we should be money good between now and uh, and the end of the first quarter. Renaissance Macro's Jeff DeGraff on CNBC. Bitcoin, look at that, extending its gains, breaking through the $50,000 level. Investors are waiting for a big number this morning, the latest on inflation. It comes at 8.30 Eastern with the January Consumer Price Index. Arm shares jumped another 25% yesterday as the post-earnings rally for that stock extends to a second week. Diamondback Energy buying rival Endeavor Energy in a $26 billion mega shale deal. Amazon founder Jeff Bezos selling off some of his Amazon stock for the first time in more than two years. Some investors are watching closely wondering if... It's a sign. Maybe something, maybe nothing. To be clear, there are many reasons why insiders sell stock in their companies. Diversification, personal finance needs. It is not necessarily an indication of the top, but it is interesting to note that the last time we saw Bezos in particular sell significant shares in Amazon, that was in 2021, just ahead of that 2022 downturn. The Nasdaq fell more than 30%. What we learned back then is it's important to pay attention. If you look back to 2021, all those share sales preceded a pretty terrible year for all the mega caps and big tech at large. CNBC's Deirdre Bosa. Hershey shares were lower. Cocoa prices hit a record high. Bad weather in West Africa is being blamed. Hershey's warned on profits for this year. And in the spotlight today, Jessica, the strength of the American consumer. You know, after a strong holiday shopping season, consumers did take a little breather. Very slight last month. So far, nobody's worried that a recession is looming. The CNBC NRF retail monitor, we use credit card data from Affinity Solutions, registering a modest decline in January. Retail sales, ex-auto and gas down 0.2%. The January decline, though, follows two strong months right in the heart of the holiday season. So that was good. But it could challenge some of the GDP forecasts for this quarter of around 3%, especially if that weakness is repeated in February. CNBC's senior economic economics reporter Steve Leesman. On today's watch list, we get the latest on inflation. As I mentioned, earnings are coming from Coca-Cola, Biogen, Marriott, and Shopify. Boeing will report orders and deliveries for January. Thank you, Jessica. High-profile billionaire forced to testify in court. What's behind it all after these messages? 
This is America in the Morning. A judge has enforced a subpoena compelling Elon Musk to testify regarding his Twitter acquisition. Correspondent Norman Hall reports. A judge has ordered Elon Musk to testify in a Securities and Exchange Commission probe of his $44 billion Twitter takeover in 2022. For a third time, Musk has been ordered to testify as part of the SEC's investigation into his purchase of Twitter, now called X. Magistrate Judge Laurel Beeler issued an order Saturday giving Musk, his team, and the SEC a week to agree on a date and location for Musk's testimony. In a court hearing last December, Beeler said she would issue an order if the two sides couldn't agree on when and where the Tesla and SpaceX CEO would testify. The agency said it has not concluded any federal securities laws were violated. I'm Norman Hall. In the Mardi Gras tradition, today is the last day of Carnival, Fat Tuesday, also known as Shrove Tuesday. Tomorrow is Ash Wednesday on the Christian calendar. And today is World Radio Day, adopted by the United Nations General Assembly in 2012. The date is set aside to shine a light on our medium, consider radio's remarkable past, relevant present, and promise of a dynamic future. America in the Morning for Tuesday, February 13th, 2024, is produced by Jeff McKay. Senior producer, Kevin Delaney. I'm John Trout. This is Westwood One. This is America in the Morning from Westwood One. I'm John Trout. Coming up this half hour. Senator Rand Paul filibusters the foreign aid bill in the Senate. I'm Pamela Furrer. Israeli forces have rescued two hostages in a dramatic Gaza raid. I'm Karen Chamas. Heavy snowfall will spread over parts of the northeast. Between 8 and 12 inches of snow. I'm Shelley Adler. The Georgia DA prosecuting Trump for election interference is heading to court facing possible misconduct. I'm Katie Clark with details. Donald Trump's calling for a leadership change at the Republican National Committee. Ben Thomas, Washington. Basketball flashbacks to Bird and the Admiral. I'm Robert Workman. John Stewart shared his thoughts on returning to The Daily Show. I'm Kevin Carr. Back after these messages. America in the Morning, back with a check of the national forecast and where we might expect some of the worst weather in the nation today. Here's AccuWeather.com meteorologist Carl Erickson. The Northeast will have the worst weather in the nation today and also the most likely area to experience widespread travel delays and even cancellations. Snow will continue to fall through the morning hours from eastern Pennsylvania and northern New Jersey into southeastern New York. Closer to the I-95 corridor and toward the coast, there can be some rain mixed in early today, but even here the storm will end as a period of snow. This can lead to a slushy coating to an inch of accumulation around Philadelphia with one to three inches around New York City. However, there'll be higher amounts and worsening road conditions just to the north of New York City. Further south, the rain can be mixed with some wet snow around the nation's capital and Baltimore before ending this morning, but little to no snow accumulation. The heaviest snow will fall across southeastern New England and into the Boston area, where the combination of heavy wet snow and increasing winds will lead to dangerous travel and sporadic power outages. Boston can pick up a six to ten inches of snow before the storm winds down later today.
today. Although the storm will be out of the northeast tonight, there'll be likely ongoing slippery and icy travel as temperatures drop below freezing. This winter storm will lead to slow and difficult travel across much of the northeast through today. Away from the storm, there'll be more clouds found over the northern plains into the Great Lakes region with snow showers crossing parts of North Dakota eastward into the upper peninsula of Michigan. Much of the west will have dry weather today, although some snow will fall over parts of Montana into northwestern Wyoming. Partly sunny skies will be found from Washington to California with highs in the 50s across the northwest with 60s over most of California. The southeast will have a nice day today with sunshine and highs in the 50s and 60s. Sunny skies and mild temperatures will also be found over the central and southern plains into Texas with many areas climbing into the 60s this afternoon. I'm AccuWeather.com meteorologist Kai Erickson. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and YouTube. Just search America in the Morning in your favorite listening app. I'm John Trout. Republican Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky has launched a filibuster in protest of the bipartisan $95 billion foreign aid package making its way through the Senate. Pamela Furr has that story. Open the champagne, pop the cork. The Senate Democrat leader and the Republican leader are on the way to Kiev. They've got $60 billion they're bringing. I don't know if it'll be cash in pallets, but they're taking your money to Kiev. The foreign aid package Paul is trying to slow down includes $60 billion to support Ukraine in its fight against Russia, $14.1 billion in security assistance for Israel, $9.2 billion in humanitarian assistance for civilians in Gaza, and $4.8 billion to support regional partners in the Indo-Pacific region, among other provisions. Lawmakers are moving forward with this foreign aid bill after Republicans blocked a broader bill that would have combine the foreign aid with a bipartisan border deal. Paul has previously accused Senate leadership both Mitch McConnell and Democratic Majority Leader Chuck Schumer of criminal neglect for prioritizing Ukraine aid over fixing the U.S. southern border. Mark my words, this $100 billion will add to that problem and I think is absolutely an utter mistake and insult to every American that we ignore the invasion at our southern border in order to send money overseas. Meanwhile, former President Donald Trump posting on his Truth Social over the weekend that the U.S. should consider loaning Ukraine money, not giving it to them, saying the United States of America should be stupid no longer. I'm Pamela Furr. Israel is celebrating after its military rescued two men being held by terrorists in Rafah, a border city with Egypt that is the last Hamas stronghold in the war-torn strip and where more hostages are believed to be held. Correspondent Karen Shamas reports as troops prepare to enter Rafah, Israeli officials are meeting with U.S., Qatari and Egyptian negotiators in Cairo on efforts to release all of the Hamas-held hostages and open up humanitarian aid corridors. As the King and I discussed today, the United States is working on a hostage deal between Israel and Hamas, <clears throat> which would bring an immediate and sustained period of calm to Gaza for at least six weeks, which we could then take the time to build something more enduring. Israeli forces have rescued two hostages in a dramatic Gaza raid that killed well over 60 Palestinians, including women and children. 
Israeli airstrikes pummel the southern Gaza city of Rafah as they assist Israeli soldiers in extracting two hostages from a nearby apartment. This is a small but symbolically significant accomplishment for the army. The plight of the hostages has captured the Israeli public's attention through more than four months of war. And Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is touting this rescue as an important breakthrough. Dozens of Palestinians were killed in the operation. The two hostages, who are of both Israeli and Argentinian nationality, were airlifted back to Israel. The hostages, aged 60 and 70, were held captive in harsh conditions. They were intentionally held in the middle of a civilian neighborhood, inside a civilian building, to try and prevent us from rescuing them. But we did. IDF spokesperson Daniel Hagari said, Fernando Marman and Luis Har are now home in Israel. They have undergone medical examination and have been reunited with their families. Meanwhile, in Rafah, Palestinians mourned the dozens of loved ones lost from the strikes as they gathered by the bodies lying on the floor, covered in blood-stained shrouds. I'm Karen Chamas. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin remains hospitalized, this time for bladder issues following his prostate cancer treatment complications. Washington correspondent Sagar Magani has an update. The president have any concerns that with his medical problems the secretary can no longer serve? Not at all. Pentagon Chief Lloyd Austin is still in the hospital and will not head to Europe as planned for meetings on Ukraine. Austin was taken to the hospital to address bladder issues as he recovers from prostate cancer. Reading a statement from his doctors after Austin underwent procedures under general anesthesia. Secretary of Defense Lloyd J. Austin III underwent non-surgical procedures under general anesthesia to address his bladder issue. We anticipate a successful recovery and will closely monitor him overnight. A prolonged hospital stay is not anticipated. We anticipate the secretary will be able to resume his normal duties. Major General Pat Ryder, Austin's spokesman, says the 70-year-old defense secretary will skip tomorrow's Ukraine defense contact group meeting in Brussels. Secretary Austin will no longer travel to Brussels this week as originally scheduled. However, Wednesday's Ukraine defense contact group will continue it, albeit virtually. While Secretary Austin currently intends to participate in the virtual UDCG, he will remain flexible depending on his health care status. Austin is expected to resume his normal duties tomorrow. For now, Deputy Secretary Hicks continues to retain the functions and duties of the Secretary of Defense at this time. Sagar Magani, Washington. Coming up on America in the Morning, prosecutor investigating former President Trump gets her day in court. That and more after these messages. I'm John Trout. This is America in the Morning. Heavy snowfall will spread over parts of the Northeast today, potentially creating a travel nightmare in areas from Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York City, into Boston. Correspondent Shelley Adler reports. We're doing everything in our powers to keep New Yorkers safe. We want New Yorkers to do everything in their powers to continue to be safe by again staying off the road. Folks in central and northern New Jersey could wake up to anywhere between three-ish inches all the way up to potentially 12 inches. 
Heavy snowfall will spread over parts of the Northeast into Tuesday. The best projections right now estimate that we will likely get between 8 and 12 inches of snow total, that it will come down pretty heavily during the morning commute starting earlier in the morning and potentially continuing all the way through the afternoon. Boston Mayor Michelle Wu from WCVB-TV. While this is more snow than we've had this season, our teams are ready to make sure that all of our residents make it through the pending storm safely. Currently, we have 38,000 tons of salt ready to go, and our public works department is going to be out there to treat the roads ahead of any snow. Forecasters warn the Northeaster is expected to bring New York City's heaviest snowfall in over two years. You know, we saw Puxatani fill last week. Uh, and uh, I think it's fair to say he's led us astray uh, because this is not the following week that we were expecting. I'm Shelley Adler. In Georgia, the Fulton County District Attorney will be heading to court later this week. But as correspondent Katie Clark reports, this time Fonnie Willis will be defending herself. Fulton County Superior Court Judge Scott McAfee set a hearing for Thursday for an investigation into District Attorney Fannie Willis for possible misconduct. Willis is the DA overseeing President Donald Trump's 2020 election fraud case in Georgia. She is accused of hiring special prosecutor Nathan Wade, with whom she has a romantic relationship with, and lying about when the relationship started. Wade and Willis admit to having their relationship together, but say it started in 2022. Witnesses will testify that they started dating before she hired Wade in 2021, which is a conflict of interest. The hearing will also look to see if Willis has any financial benefit to the relationship and if Wade's $650,000 salary was used to buy expensive vacations together and lavish gifts for Willis, who was his boss. Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade will both testify, and there is word that Donald Trump may also attend the hearing. I'm Katie Clark. One person was killed, five others wounded in a New York City subway shooting. Lisa Dwyer has that story. Gunfire erupted following a dispute between two groups of teenagers at a New York City subway station at the start of evening rush hour on a train platform in the Bronx around 4.30 p.m., a time when stations throughout the city are filled with kids coming home from school and many workers are beginning their evening commute. Officials say a 34-year-old man was killed. The wounded included a 14-year-old girl, a 15-year-old boy, and three adults, ages 28, 29, and 71. And at least one of the individuals in that group, or in the two groups, uh, took out a gun and fired shots. People started running off the train onto the platform, and more shots were fired while on the platform. Some of the victims are believed to have been involved in the dispute, and others were simply waiting for their train. I'm Lisa Dwyer. There could be a Trump ushered in as one of the newest leaders of the Republican National Committee. Ben Thomas reports on changes that could be ahead following Rona McDaniel's expected departure. Outlining his plans on social media, he's looking to install a slate of loyalists, including his daughter-in-law, Laura Trump, at the top of the party apparatus. And the former president wants to see it happen even before he formally secures the GOP nomination. Current RNC chair Ronna McDaniel says she has no plans to leave before South Carolina's February 24th primary. Central to Trump's demands are his complaints the RNC's not focused enough on preventing voter fraud, which he continues to insist cost him the 2020 election, even though his own election officials, Justice Department, and numerous courts have found no evidence to support his claims. Ben Thomas, Washington. 
A proposed arena deal for the Washington, D.C. area's NBA and NHL teams is in jeopardy, correspondent Gethin Coolball reports. A leading Democratic Virginia legislator says proposed legislation to help pave the way for the NBA's Washington Wizards and NHL's Washington Capitals to relocate to Northern Virginia is dead. Chair of the Senate Finance and Appropriations Committee, Senator L. Louise Lucas, told reporters Monday morning that Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin had made a series of mistakes in trying to advance the deal through a General Assembly now in full Democratic control after November's elections. She outlined concerns about the financing structure and said Youngkin had not been negotiating in good faith, a bill is still alive in the House of Delegates. I'm Gethin Coolbaugh. Slower than expected sales in high-tech manufacturing means fewer robots in the workforce. Here's fellow human Chuck Palm with that in today's tech news. The impending robot invasion of the nation has been postponed, at least for the time being. According to Jeff Bernstein, the president of the Association for Advancing Automation, North American companies have ordered one-third fewer robots last year as worries about the slowing economy and higher interest rates made it harder to justify buying advanced machines. This reflects the largest decrease in purchasing of automated machines since 2006. In a follow-up to yesterday's story, the chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee said on Monday he's concerned about the decision by the campaign to re-elect President Joe Biden to join TikTok, while Congress debates whether or not to ban the app for all Americans, while currently all federal employees are banned from using TikTok. Senator Mark Warren said he's concerned about the security implications and sending a mixed message. Bitcoin jumps to 50000 the highest in two years, while Ethereum jumped 4% to 2600 Leave a comment at allthetoptech.tech. I'm Chuck Palm. With sports this Tuesday on America in the Morning, here's Robert Workman. NBA, the Bucks barreled over the Nuggets 112-95. Giannis Adetokounmpo, 36 points and 18 rebounds. Milwaukee holding its opponents under 100 points in back-to-back wins for the first time this season. A defense, one reason why they brought in Doc Rivers to coach. Timberwolves sailed past the Clippers in a matchup of the top two teams in the West. A triple-double for rookie Victor Wembanyama as he led the Spurs in a romp over the Raptors. The 7-4 Frenchman had 27 points, 14 rebounds, and a career-high 10 block shots. Coach Greg Popovich had a front row seat. Uh, he did a little bit of everything. He's a, you know, all around talented player. You got a great feel for the game and, you know, it shows in a variety of ways, whether he's passing or making decisions, blocking shots. The last rookie to post a triple-double with blocked shots, David Robinson, also with the Spurs in 1990. Sixers nip the Cavaliers. That ends Cleveland's nine-game winning streak. Pelicans pelted the Grizzlies. Memphis has lost nine in a row. Wins for the Rockets, Mavericks, Warriors, Hornets, and Bulls. College basketball, Connecticut and Purdue remain number one and two in the latest rankings. Indiana State is in the top 25 for the first time since 1979, the year the Sycamores and Larry Bird went to the national final to face Magic Johnson in Michigan State. Last night, number six Kansas got hammered at Texas Tech, while number nine Duke took care of Wake Forest. That's Tuesday Sports. Thank you, sir. Coming up on America in the Morning, move over classified documents. This presidential memorabilia goes up for sale today after these messages. Back now on America in the Morning. With his return as host of The Daily Show, John Stewart is sharing his thoughts on a return to work. Our Kevin Carr has the story. 
Last night, after an absence of almost nine years, Jon Stewart returned to The Daily Show. Hey, it's Jon Stewart. I'm hosting Comedy Central's The Daily Show every Monday. Stewart first took the reins in 1999, transforming a snarky send-up of nightly news into a madcap recap some millennials regarded as a better news source than the major networks. Stewart left the show in 2015, but he has come back on Mondays only, now through the election. This week, he appeared on CBS Mornings to explain why he decided to return. Well, I very much wanted uh, to have some kind of place to uh, unload thoughts uh, as we get into this election season. Correspondents Jordan Klepper, Daisy Liddick, Ronnie Chang, Michael Costas, and Dulce Sloan will serve as rotating hosts Tuesdays through Thursdays. Stewart recently hosted two seasons of The Problem with Jon Stewart on Apple TV+, but he explained why that series ended. They decided that they didn't, they, they felt that they didn't want me to say things that okay. Okay, so in trouble. On The Daily Show's Ears Edition podcast on Monday, Stewart further explained the challenges of dissecting politics and government in the present media. The form of government that we cherish so much is really an analog I don't want to say dinosaur, but it is analog. And the world now moves at an increasingly digital pace. Stewart hosts The Daily Show every Monday at 11 p.m. on Comedy Central. I'm Kevin Carr. A piece of presidential maritime memorabilia is going up for sale today. Correspondent Jennifer King explains. A blue and white 38-foot fountain speedboat that belonged to former President George H. Bush is headed to auction in Houston Thursday at the Presidential Salute. That's according to Hutton Higgins with the George and Barbara Bush Foundation. The event features Condoleezza Rice and Peyton Manning. The 41st president was an avid boater and fisherman. The Fidelity Five was one in a series Bush purchased to speed around the waters off the Bush family's summer retreat in Kennebunkport, Maine. It comes with three Mercury outboard motors producing nearly 1,000 horsepower and is emblazoned with the Presidential Seal. Proceeds of the sale will benefit the foundation, the Bush School of Government and Public Service at Texas A&M University, and Bush's Presidential Library and Museum, where the first Fidelity vessel is on display. I'm Jennifer King. It's Fat Tuesday and World Radio Day, and it's also known as Galentine's Day. Conceived 14 years ago, it's a day that women can celebrate their gals, female friends. Tomorrow, of course, the day we set aside for romantic relationships. Don't forget Valentine's Day. This is the 44th day of the year, and that's our show for today. America in the Morning for Tuesday, February 13th, 2024, is produced by Jeff McKay. Senior producer, Kevin Delaney. I'm John Trout. This is Westwood One. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Should we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.